Welcome to the 71st episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnists Scott Osler and Ann Killian. Scott and Anna have been with me all season, and they were on site with me in Toronto for games one and two of the NBA Finals. Late Wednesday night, Scott and Ann sat down with me in Oracle Arena's lower bowl to break down Golden State's Game 3 loss, analyze what we learned about Klay Thompson from his absence, discuss whether strength in numbers is a myth, and answer a pressing question. Are the Warriors really in that bad of shape? After all, both Thompson and Kevin Durant could be back for Game 4. We'll have our conversation right after the break. On Wednesday, Scott Osler and Ann Killian sat down with me in Oracle Arena's lower bowl. Here we are in the lower bowl of Oracle Arena after the Warriors game three loss to the Toronto Raptors. The Warriors fell 123 to 109. Um, this one was pretty simple. Not not a ton to really analyze. I mean, sure we can we can get into the weeds a little bit, but what it came down to was this guy named Clay Thompson did not play his first career playoff game. He did not play because of a left hamstring issue, and without him, the Warriors looked pretty overmatched. Steph had forty seven points, and it was for naught. Yeah, and I mean it's just a matter of all these injuries starting to pile up too. I mean, yes, Clay is a very vital person on both sides of the court. He's great on offense. He's locked down on defense. But you add this to already missing Durant and missing um, Looney now for the rest of the series. It's just, it was a lot to overcome. Um, you know, the the pressure was on Toronto to win this because if they had lost a game against that depleted a team, it would have been really bad. But they didn't lose it. And they they made huge shots when they needed to, and they pretty much maintained a double-digit lead for pretty much most of the game. A couple of times that Warriors got it down to like seven, but but yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward. Steph was amazing, but other than that, there wasn't too much to write home about. Had the Warriors won this game, it would have been one of the top two or three games in their five-year run, I think, considering all the stuff for them to. It was such a huge ob- obstacle to overcome. For them to win it tonight would have been kind of amazing. So, you know, we're sitting here thinking, yeah, no big deal. Also, by the way, thanks for tuning in, folks, because <clears throat> what we do, we write our columns and stories, and then we come out here and we refocus our thinking and we can actually figure out what we should have written and said. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things I know you wrote about, Scott, was – whether or not the whole strength in numbers idea is a little bit of a myth. Because obviously we see the T-shirts, we see the, we see the billboards. Um, a lot was made of strength in numbers after game two when you had some, some role players really step up. But they didn't really get many contributions from any of those role guys tonight. I mean, you're just looking at this box score real quick. Draymond Green had 17, 6 for 14 shooting. I felt like he did his part offensively. Andre, 11 points, but that's kind of what you expected, the bare minimum of what you expected from them. But looking at DeMarcus Cousins, four points on one for seven shooting, was not great defensively, three turnovers, a minus 12 in 19 minutes. Sean Livingston was a minus four, plus minus in, in was a minus 14, plus minus in 17 minutes. 
And then the, these bench guys, Quinn Cook wasn't a huge factor. Andrew Bogut actually I thought had 21 solid minutes. Uh, so he was a bright spot. But then Jordan Bell wasn't much of a factor. J- Jonas Jerebko. I felt like they needed at least one or two of those guys to really step up to the plate, and, and no one really did. And I guess my question for you is, is that an indictment on the bench? Is that indictment on these role guys? Or is, is that just a factor? Is that more of a byproduct of just how good the Raptors are defensively? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of both, but um, it kind of exposes that the strength in numbers thing because it, it worked great last it worked great last game when uh, my cook came in and hit three three pointers and that was big, um, but it was such a small it was just basically the fourth quarter uh, where they basically held the fort and even then they could barely hold the fort uh, with Clay out. So uh, tonight I thought they were just exposed like they they needed like you said they needed at least a couple guys to step step out. Jarevko came in he's one for six from the from the floor he hit a three-pointer, but his first two three-pointers, one I think might have been an air ball, the other one clanged off. Their, their, their three-point misses were really, really bad. They, they weren't in-and-out shots. They, I thought, I, I, it was my opinion that like halfway through the first half, that Steph Curry kind of gave up on those guys in a way, and instead of driving and kicking, he started just driving and shooting rather than, because I, I felt that he couldn't trust those guys. He didn't feel that they were ready for the big time. Well, they went... <laughs> more than eight minutes of the game without another field goal from without a field goal from anyone else on the team. It was pretty clear from the get go that it was the Steph show. And the reality of the situation is you need to score a lot more than 47 points to win an NBA game uh, at the, at this level. And um, what, what, was, what were your thoughts on Well, I think the DeMarcus Cousins performance was kind of disappointing because I think um, there was a belief that he was on a trajectory, and instead he wasn't. He had a really, he had an average appearance in game one. He had a really great contribution in game two. And you kind of thought, well, at home he's going to build on what he did, um, especially with the clay out. You're maybe going to run some of the offense right through him. And, you know, he's got to be an offensive uh, factor as well as a big body on defense. And he really didn't do any of that. He wasn't getting the rebounds he got the other night. He wasn't, um, he missed, he clanged a couple of three-point shots. He, he, um, and even, you know, in the lane, he wasn't making shots. He just didn't have a good performance. So I think that after all that hype for you know the last 48 hours about how he was the MVP of of game two I think that was that was kind of tough because I think people were kind of thinking with clay out maybe DeMarcus could pick up some of the load because he is a star in this league but yeah that was um yeah it just it it just they didn't have enough although you know I think that they they knew they weren't going to have enough right this was their strategy um it's been Kerr's strategy throughout his tenure here to take the extra day, to be cautious, to not rush a guy back, even if it's, you know, in the heat of the playoffs. And I think what they're thinking is they're going to have Clay and possibly Kevin coming back on Friday and have them the rest of the way and be, you know, close to what their real team is supposed to be. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens on Friday because this game is kind of a complete aberration. And I'll tell you one area where I think they could really use area. Everyone's talking about the points and the scoring that Durant and Clay give him, but on defense, um, 
even more important, I think, because tonight the Raptors shot 52.4% uh, from the field, almost 45% from the three-point line, and that's just not survivable. Uh, you, if if Clay and Draymond 20, 20 both play, for 21 from the foul line. That's great, yeah. And yeah. The, the thing that really impressed me about Toronto is they just – don't do anything to beat themselves. I mean, they they were they're just so savvy. They don't seem overwhelmed by the moment and kind of as you guys just touched upon, they needed to win this this game and I think there's a lot of teams in this situation who that would get maybe nervous or or a little bit antsy over the fact that that it is the ultimate must win in a lot of ways and they just came out and they said, "Oh yeah, you guys don't have that those guys? Cool, we're just going to pulverize you i mean the reality is i mean they like you said they were up double digit points most of the game they led for the final 45 minutes of this game their their win was really never in doubt and one one thing that's been interesting throughout this series is there was so much talk about their bench and how their bench was better than the warriors but they've been getting it done with just really consistent contributions from their starters and and then Fred Van Fleet, who's their sixth man. You know, those six guys got double-digit points, and it was an extremely balanced attack. Kyle Lowry had his best game of the series, uh, 23 points on 8 for 16, shooting, 9 assists. Um, Kawhi Leonard overcame a kind of a rough first half to finish with 30 points. And then Pascal Siakam's doing his thing, Marcus Soule's doing his thing, and Danny Green knocks down six threes. So... Um, no, there's nothing the Raptors do to me that is absolutely breathtaking, but they're just so efficient. They're so solid, both offensively and defensively. And I've been extremely impressed with the job that Nick Nurse, first year NBA head coach, has coached in the G League, has coached in England, uh, has coached at the D2 level. And here he is on the biggest stage, and I feel like his game plan for every single game has been really on point. And he, he showed that he's not afraid of being super aggressive as he obviously showed with that box and one in game two. Yeah, no, he's doing a great job. He's unconventional um, and his team really loves him. And considering the way he got his job, that's kind of an amazing thing because that's pretty controversial. And, you know, you think about this team, I mean, Kawhi is the superstar who arrives in what, September, right? And, and, uh, uh, Gasol arrives in February. This team hasn't really been around for very long together. Um, Siakam is, you know, a, new on the scene, but they've gelled and they have. You're right about them not being. The moment's not too big for them, and and to come into Oracle, to come into the champions' home, um, there was a lot of emotion in this building. Though I would say, it wasn't probably it. It wasn't any more emotional and maybe not as emotional as what we saw in Toronto at Scotiabank, but they, they, they weren't faced by it at all. And they just kind of, every time the Warriors made a tiny run, they answered right back. They, they, you know, every time Steph would hit a shot, they'd come back with a huge three of their own. They were just steady. They're, they're not phased. No. And I think that that's what makes them scary. And the reality is they're down, the Warriors are down 2-1. I actually think they're in a decent position given the fact that they're facing a series deficit because, like you said, Klay Thompson is expected to come back for Game 4. The reality is he probably could have played tonight, but there just was no point in, in risking it this early in the series. So they're expecting him to come back for Game 4. 
Kevin Durant, I think, is well-positioned to come back for game four. He's going to scrimmage tomorrow uh, with some of the younger guys and some coaches. And assuming everything goes well, I think he should be able to play game four. And then it's a totally different ball game at that point. Yeah, but if these guys, assuming they both come back, uh, do you really think they're going to be playing 35, 38 minutes? I'm, I'm thinking more like uh, it's gonna, they're going to be cautious, maybe 20 minutes apiece, something like that. So their impact will be it'll be considerable, but it won't be like they're just coming back full bore. Yeah, I would th- I would think Durant just his, I would think Durant's conditioning isn't going to be where it needs to be for game 4 just because he hasn't played any done any live action at all. I mean, you can only do so much by yourself. So that that's going to hold him back, I think. Yeah, I would think that would hold his minutes back, but I think Clay would probably play more minutes. Um I, I think Clay's in shape and if if you know the hamstring isn't bothering him or if it's not bothering him very much then why not you know I mean he would say himself there's they only have four games left in the season um and so you're gonna give whatever you have to give uh the interesting thing about game four in addition to all these other things is it could be the last game at Oracle Arena which is um you know kind of a big deal I think most people believe that this team will come back and have a game six but uh but yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be. Draymond really said they're gonna come back, play a game six, win game six, celebrate right. in Oakland, and there's some good times ahead. So That's they're it. pretty confident. That's what he said. He said they're gonna win three straight, and you know what? They could. I mean, I don't think anyone, um, including any of the Raptors, are counting them out after this. It was interesting. This was there was a lot. There were a lot of Raptors fans in the building. And there was a "Let's Go Raptors" chant in yeah. the final minutes, and and then um, I would I had already left the arena, but uh, I guess there was a little group of them hanging out singing "O Canada" at the end of the game. So um, they're a pretty fired up fan base, and and I you know I think their fans feel pretty confident. They've got to feel confident the way they played, but you know these the, these Warriors are champions, and they're you know it's going to take a lot to knock them off. Yeah, apparently this was the last. Game an oracle for that courtside fan who <laughs> kind of roughed up uh, Kyle Lowry. Yeah, that was weird. That was strange. Uh, if, if, I'm sure you folks saw it on TV. Lowry flew into the courtside seats, and one guy reached over from two seats away and, and kind of shoved Lowry and kind of pushed him and also apparently used some bad language. <laughs> Lowry took exception. I guess the fan was thrown out, so interesting. I wonder and, if they refunded him as $50,000 or whatever he paid for the seat. Exactly. I mean, he was sitting about five or six seats away from Jay-Z and Beyonce and Joe Lacob. And it's like, those seats are pretty expensive. I don't know, you know, and if you're going to sit right on the court, that's one of the benefits of sitting on the court is you may have an NBA player land in your lap. And he seemed very insulted by that. Yeah. Uh, Lowry said post-game, I hope that fan is never allowed in an NBA arena ever again. So he felt pretty strongly, understandably. I mean, also the NBA stage, you got to think if you're affording that ticket that you would have your life together. But I, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, maybe that's presumptuous of me. But, but also if you have that ticket, you also have access to the free lounge at halftime and everything with all the free drinks. So who knows? <laughs> maybe you hit it too hard. Maybe. Maybe. Um it's gonna be uh it's it's been a weird it's been a weird series in a lot of ways and I think um I think there's still a lot to look forward to. Um one question I have going forward is can Steph be finals MVP? Yes. 
yes, he can be finals MVP, even if they lose. It would be the second time it's ever happened. Um, when was the first time? Jerry West in 19, I think, 69. I just wrote it, but I can't remember. But yeah, in a loss to the Celtics, my friend Scott Osler pointed that out to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's... I mean, it's un- if they lose the series, it's unlikely that he will be the MVP. I think at this point, if they win the series, it's becoming more and more likely he would be MVP. Just, you know, what he did in, in Game 2 um, and what he did uh, tonight in a loss. Um, he's he's just, he's playing at a, uh, as Steve says, he does things that other people don't do that people haven't done in the history of the game. And he's shouldering a lot of the burden. He's uh, played amazingly since Durant went out. So I I think, and there's a sentimental swell, at least among some of the people who vote on the MVP, that I think, you know, it's kind of the one thing he doesn't have. And um, if you look back over their championships, maybe he could have gotten it one or two times, and he didn't. So, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a... I think there will be a strong case to be made for Steph Curry Finals MVP. Who would it? Who would it be on the Raptors? Kawhi. It would be Kawhi, but it feels like, I mean, I guess this is part of Kawhi's brilliance is that he can have a a game that doesn't feel dominant, and yet you look at the stat line; he had thirty points, seven rebounds, six assists. I yeah, mean, that's er- just on. part of why he's so great. Yeah, early on, I think Curry had twelve or fourteen, and Kawhi had two, so he was very quiet at the start. He kind of he doesn't force his way in, but. Uh, but I, I think tonight was kind of a legacy game for Curry, whether he gets winds up with MVP or not. This is one of those games that when you go back and evaluate a guy's career, this is one of the games that really stands out. Because I show you what I know going into this game, considering that the Raptors shut Curry down in the fourth quarter with that gimmicky defense in game two. Uh, coming into this game with all the factors, I would have I bet money. I don't bet money, but I would have bet money that Curry probably wouldn't score more than, say, 22 points because it would just be too tough. They could double, triple team him, they could bomb him, and they could use all kinds of exotic defenses. And he's only one guy. He's a little six-foot-two puny guy, and I I just never saw a game like this coming out of him tonight. We've talked a lot about how much the Warriors have missed Clay and Durant, but you know who they also missed tonight? Kavon Looney. Um, it felt like there were so many times where they could have just used his – steadying stabilizing presence in that interior um obviously with the market struggling andrew Brogett provided that a little bit but he's not a guy you want playing huge minutes um and there are also times where you want to you wanted a guy who's more of a small ball center and i felt like jordan bell slipped back into some bad habits tonight you know he's a guy who has been really inconsistent throughout his career and then over the past couple weeks has been somewhat of a res a revelation playing a lot more consistent basketball but then tonight he, he as soon as he stepped on the floor he he was blown up by Kawhi and was yelled at by green. by green and that yeah. just took me back to a lot of moments we've seen from Jordan Bell and you never see those moments from Kevon Looney yeah he he didn't look sure of himself Jordan Bell he he um he he looked I I was thinking you got to get this guy off the court he doesn't look like he belongs in the game and Kavon Looney has even last year looked like he belonged in in the NBA playoffs and was he's just a cool customer. He's so smart and and so fundamentally sound. So yeah, I mean yeah, the the superstars being out that that's getting all the notice. But Kavon Looney is a huge loss, and it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to get through 
without him, even if the other guys come back. He's one of Looney's one of those guys, one of the guys who, by not playing tonight, his stock, his 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 salary demands for next year shot up because they missed him so much. And the flip side of that is Demarcus's. Right. plummeted uh i think there was he was getting real traction i mean keep in mind part of the he he won't say this but part of the reason why he wanted to come back so badly is because he wanted to buoy his free agent stock come this summer and um the market value from him has been fluctuating a lot and i i think if you're a, a, another nba team and you're thinking about investing 10 12 13 million dollars a year in Demarcus, and you saw what you saw tonight. You might take a, a deep breath and, and reevaluate some things. Yeah, I think so. Um, but you know, I mean, I, that's unfair because you know, if you look at Demarcus's entire career, he's he's a star in this league. He's um, he was. I think he's shown incredible work ethic to get back to get in. And sure, is some of that self-serving because he wants this showcase before he hits the market of course but he did do the work and he did get yeah, back and he did have a really big game in game two I just think he's he's just and I kind of felt this during the regular season when he when he got finally got in in January it's just erratic it hasn't gelled it's never gelled with this team it's not going to gel in the next four games and so you know and in a lot of ways that's not really his fault but um yeah I mean he could come out on game four and have a even better game than he had in game two. I mean, he's just, he's erratic. It's hard to know what you're going to get from him. But one thing he has done this year, I think, is is, is kind of rehabilitate his uh, image as a, not a team player, not a, not a good guy, kind of a, a chemistry screw-upper. And I, I think he's he's lived that down. And I think uh, that that will help him in the offseason in terms of contract next year. But the, it's not going to overcome the fact that he's just, he doesn't seem to be the superstar he used to be. And I do agree with Ann. I think I just never have felt like he's a great fit with what the Warriors do. He's he's there's a reason why the Warriors haven't had a dominant low post presence. It's partly because they don't really need one. They the way their roster is is constructed, they it, it makes more sense for their center to be someone like Kavan who can do the little things and not doesn't necessarily need to command the ball. So having someone like Demarcus who you have to call sets for and get away from your movement-heavy system a little bit, it's it's not conducive to what the Warriors want to do a lot of times. So that being said, I appreciate uh, I appreciate Scott and Ann hanging with me late. It's yeah, We got to get to bed. We got we got to write some off-day stuff not tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> we got to cover game four. And then we will be heading out to Toronto for game five. Now the question is, will we be going to Toronto again for game seven? I think it's very possible. Uh, the way, just looking at Ann's face right now, I don't, I don't think she wants to go to Toronto I for a game. I Toronto, but this is where it gets hard. The 2-2 two, two part of the seven-game series is fine. It's the 1-1-1 one, one, one where you start going back and forth between cities. It's, it's pretty draining. But I, I have a prediction for um, game four. The Warriors will score 109 points. Yeah, because they've done that all three games. How, how It's super weird. Yeah. And you, the the reality is, it's it's hard to win NBA games when you're scoring. I mean, 109 is not nothing, but you usually want to score a little bit more than that. Yeah. And by the way, talking about going back to Toronto, if we have to go back for Game Seven, I checked, and if we have to go back for Game Seven, we qualify for Canadian citizenship. Whee! 
Well, I told you I'm moving to Trotta, so that works out. And you <laughs> and you're having a couple extra spare rooms for your buddies to come up there and crash well, when, when we... we have to flee. <laughs> <laughs> What? Are you getting political? All right. Not on the podcast. All right. On that note, uh, stay locked and loaded for all your Warriors needs at SF Chronicle. We'll be having tons of good content in the coming days. I want to thank Scott Osler and Ann Killian for joining me on the podcast. So it's fun chatting Warriors with them. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at claterno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.